Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to have your company. This is a weekly discussion about the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James. The Camino is a series of pilgrimages across Europe. Pilgrims hope to arrive at the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James at the majestic cathedral in the Spanish city of Santiago de Compostela, or St. James under a field of stars. You don't have to be religious to be swept up by the spirit of the Camino. Millions of pilgrims have walked the path before you, creating, in a sense, footsteps you can follow going back thousands of years. Pilgrims walk for a range of reasons. A thousand years ago, they walked for forgiveness. They sought the Vatican's plenary indulgence, the gold ticket to heaven. So as I say, you may not be religious, but you can't help being swept up in the spirituality of the experience. These days, pilgrims walk for a range of reasons, for adventure, perspective, renewal, enlightenment, a coming of age, or perhaps they just felt the need to get out of the house. I remember when I was young, Carmelite priests and brothers lived up the road from me and there was a picture hanging in the monastery and it said, a man who walks with God always gets to his destination. It was the US author and poet Henrietta C. Mears, and I've never forgotten it. And here I am talking about looking at a picture in the early 1980s, and I have to remember, it's 2019. I can see the picture on the wall as if it was yesterday. A man who walks with God always gets to his destination. A woman too. I'm sure. My guest this week is the Australian Catholic priest, Father Neil Muir. He's on the line from far north Queensland. Welcome, Pilgrim. Thank you very much, Dan. Thanks. Great to be here. Why did you walk the Camino de Santiago? Well, I'd had a lot of friends who had done it, a lot of them priests, um, and they spoke about how powerful it was. I also watched the Martin Sheen movie. That had a big effect on me, and then I, I read his book on the way. And then the opportunity came up here and there. My own diocese of Cairns, the uh, the education Catholic Education Office organised uh, a pilgrimage as part of its um, sabbatical program, and 13 of us headed off. And we started from Pomparado within Spain, and over the next two weeks we walked to Santiago. And what month was it? It was in the month of um, August right now, August, September. Right. And that, so that was last year? That was last year, yep. Yeah. Do you remember where you first or when you first heard about the Camino, going back? Um, I first heard about the Camino when I was at the seminary as a sort of a, you'd hear vague references to, oh, he did the Camino. And then uh, gradually the Camino started to become sort of, underwent a revival. Uh, The Spanish, Portuguese, French governments invested money in doing up the trails, and it became more and more promoted. And as you said in your introduction, um, it's not just an appealing for Catholics or, or any religion. Uh, it's appealing for people just to do as a way of being renewed. And certainly I encountered lots of people from many different backgrounds on the Camino. Yeah, I read somewhere that you said it was probably the most significant spiritual thing I've done thus far in my life. That's a big call yep. from a Catholic priest. It was because I suppose it also came, you know, this year I'm celebrating 25 years of priesthood, but last year was a, 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 it came at a time when I, I could pause and reflect on my life, where I was going, what I needed to do, what I needed to not do anymore, or, to, some, or gave me the opportunity also to face up the things I needed to address in my own life. So I guess for me it was, it was, a, it was an act of penance, connected to renewal and and I was very much aware of the 
the oh, thousands, millions of people who had had trod the Camino before me, and you, you wonder what what issues did they bring, and who were they? They were they're the famous people like Saint Francis of Assisi, and then the unknown people. And I encountered um, I encountered a mother and a son. She was on a walker, and they were just plodding along. I mean, that's amazing. That was an amazing encounter for me. Um, and you'd encounter people every day that you'd, you'd met, and you'd encounter new people. I came upon a lady playing a bagpipe in the middle of the forest, and I thought she was from Scotland, but she was, that's actually bagpipes are common or, or found in that area. It's a tradition of that area because they originally were Celtic people. How wonderful. And you, you said the Camino for you was like one great mantra, and I suppose... A mantra is in many ways a form of prayer. Did you do much praying? Well, I found myself getting into a pattern of prayer. Like as a priest, I have a pattern of prayer anyway, and that's essential to to priesthood and and to to a disciple, to a Christian. But I got into a mantra where I'd I'd say um, a decade of the rosary to begin my walk. But that just set me off on a whole reflection, meditation on the life of Christ in my life and what I had to address. And the whole, you know, you, you just find yourself falling into, into prayer, formal prayer sometimes. You know, it could be as simple as the Our Father, the Hail Mary. But often it was also a prayer of thanks. I thank you for the gift of my parents. I thank you for the, this encounter I had in the parish. And you'd also think about people who'd asked for prayers and people who hadn't asked for prayers but needed prayer. Yeah. Did you tell other pilgrims that you were a priest? Well, my own little group knew I was. Not really. No. No. Um, we'd, we'd, I'd, we'd celebrate Mass every evening, and I don't think I celebrated Mass in a church that was under 300 years old. It was amazing. Oh, wow. Um, but they'd only know I was a priest, some of the pilgrims, because they join us for Mass. They'd, right. you'd, you'd, they'd just walk into the church while we were having Mass. So I suppose they recognised me then. But no, I, I just I just blended in. <laughs> but the church is, of course, deeply ingrained in the Spanish culture in the countryside, as you say. And how did you go about reaching out then to the Spanish church to say Mass in their churches each night? Well, we'd booked it. And right. It was originally, it right. was originally just, just for our group, but anyone could walk in. Yeah. Uh, very rarely did the local clergy speak English. Uh, it was Spanish, but we just had that connection. He, yeah. I, we had, a, we had a, a guide who could speak um, uh, Spanish, but, but there was a, just a connection between us as Catholic priests, as Catholics. Um, yeah. How wonderful. I actually celebrated with, a, with one of the parish priests, and he did it all in Spanish, and, but, but you know where you're up to. And he, he sort of signaled to me which Eucharistic prayer, so I, I understood in English where we were going. How lovely. What a yeah. great experience for you. Oh, yeah. And it brought home to me one sense of being Catholic, of Catholicity, that it, that it goes beyond language and, and culture, that we do have a common connection in faith. Is it still true in 2019 that a man who walks with God always gets to his destination? Well, I can certainly hook into that. Um, I didn't know what my destination was going to be when I walked the Camino, but it certainly has set me up for renewal and and given me a new 
a new a new vitality I think in terms of my faith and appreciation for people the gift of people in my life and recognizing God in others how lovely you, you, I think there's almost a palpable energy present on the Camino uh, did you feel that oh yes definitely um, you you there's a greeting uh, Juan Camino have a good walk you know have a good Camino um you, you just say that all the time, and they say it to you. Um, there's a there's a, a fellowship, a communion amongst the, the pilgrims, whether they're Christians or otherwise. Yeah, you're on it together, and there there is a happiness. There are times when it's tough. It's tough physically, and it can be tough spiritually, because there are you, you, there are times you have to reflect on that. You think, oh God, I wish I hadn't done that. Or, but there's a sense, as you said before, you sense you're journeying with God. And you're journeying together with God, with others. It also gave me a deep appreciation for what Pope Francis and, and Vatican II are on, you know, on about, you know, this, this church and dialogue, because uh, church and dialogue is journeying with and listening to, and you do a fair bit of that as you walk along, just listen to others. You do a lot of that in life too, don't you? You do, as a priest. As a as a Christian, I think we I listen to a lot others in in many differing situations, but this was um yeah this was different. It was it was I was journeying. I it was like taking the time to have a deeper listen. Yeah, had you done much study or or, or, or looked into the life of Saint James very much? No, not Saint James. No. And did you um, did you find that fascinating then that that history of oh, of Saint James being Christ's apostle? You are in very many ways one of Christ's apostles too. I I, I well, when you get into the original story, and there's legend around it, and legends help because they they emphasise uh, what the power of the the person. But that man that came from Jerusalem and like the other apostles stepped onto foreign soil to bring the gospel. And he's still inspiring, as you know, with Christ, others to do the same thing today. And it's you know, it's an amazing experience when you enter the cathedral, um, just to kneel in front of his his relic, which is his head, um, his body's in Jerusalem, but his head, and just think, well, you know, here I am, almost two thousand years on, and and this man saw Christ. He followed Christ, but I follow Christ too with others, and he's part of the inspiration to do that. When you came home, I'm certain uh, other parishioners, not just the ones that you were with, but other parishioners wanted to share your story or or learn your story. How did you describe the whole experience? As an amazing uh, renewal within myself, as a humbling experience, seeing the faith and lives of others, um, and an inspiring experience. I, I think it's, it's, it really has renewed me in my ministry. It's changed me slightly in terms of how I approach ministry, but it really affirmed me in what I do as a priest. I love, I love being a priest, but I love it even more uh, now. That's how I described it to my, my parish. Yeah. Um, how wonderful that they have someone like you to lead them. Uh, and you just mentioned that it has changed you as a priest and the way that you you, you carry conduct yourself. How how has it changed? What what's changed? Well, I think 
I think I try to be more with people. I know I was before, but I try to be more at people's level. And what you said before, listen. And and I, I try to take my time with people, not get overtaken by schedules and timetables. They're, look, they're part of life. They're important. But to take interest and people seriously in their particular situation. You know, being a priest, you signed up for a life of giving. And has that life itself been a form of pilgrimage, your life of clergy? Oh, yeah. I, th- I think the whole Christian life is, but in particular the the clergy travel with and support the pilgrim um, through the sacramental life of the church. You're, you're extremely privileged. Uh, you're invited into people's lives in a crisis, in joy, sadness, in very powerful moments. Um, you're there to accompany them on the journey of life. So, yeah, it, priests, I think priests are fellow travellers, but they are also servants of the travellers, of the pilgrims. So what did you learn about yourself on the Camino, do you think? On the Camino? Well, I could be very selfish. <laughs> <laughs> I had a sore left knee going down hills. Um, that I was, um, that I'm older, that I'm, you know, I'm in my 50s now, and um, to look after myself much better. I lost a lot of weight um, prior to the Camino. I'd got really overweight. I lost 35 kilos. Whoa! So I, I learnt how important that is, fitness is. Um, and I learnt um, that Christ is, this is going to sound strange, but Christ is at the core of everything we do as church, has to be. And uh, in, in, the, in the wake of the Royal Commission into sexual abuse and all that, I think that's vital for us as a church to recognise, that it's not about the institution, it's about the founder, the mission, the message. And the people. The people are all part of that. Yes, very much so, serving the people. Yeah, yeah. What did you learn about others on the Camino? Others that they, like me, they're struggling with all those things, um, but also uh, there are there's, there's people's faith is, and I always find people's faith incredible. They don't realise it, but they, you, know, you just see people's faith in action and they're deeply spiritual people. I had an encounter with someone who who wasn't a Christian. I I don't know what they were, but they had this great faith, this great sense of being privileged to be alive. So I I got that part of God communicated to me in that person's life about how precious life is. Wow, that's great. You you talk about your Camino uh, family, those people that travelled with you. Did you see change in them? I did actually. There was um, there was one person on our in our group that was crippled after the first day and just doubted whether they were going to go on. They um, they ch- they changed their shoes to sandals, which is of course the original pilgrim and war yeah. worn sandals. Yeah. And they did the whole thing nonstop, and and they said I I just had a they just had a complete um, reinvigoration of self confidence. Um, wonderful. Yeah, but but just that simple changing of footwear allowed them to enter into the spirit of the Camino, and that was great to see. What a, that's a gra- great to finish the thing with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how far did you walk on average each day? 
we average 26 kilometres a day, some, some days less. A few days more, we did 30-odd kilos twice, kilometres. And uh, Spain's interesting. Like, it goes from... It can go... At that time, it went from 6 degrees up to 30 by midday. You can yeah. understand why they have a siesta. Yeah. Um, and you can also understand the importance of the pilgrims' food. It was very nu- nutritional. It was soups and, and things like that and a glass of wine <laughs> to get you along or they have this... Although I had this Pilgrim's this special lemonade with alcohol in it, but <laughs> <laughs> that helped you get along too. But um, um, yeah, it was just a great experience. Different culture, very similar to Australian culture, but without the language, of course. Very down to earth people. Yeah, it was a great experience. And what have you been able to bring to your flock, your parish, on your return? Um. Well, I shared the experience, but I, but I think to bring the, the experience of the faith in another country, another culture, but also the experience that the faith is so much alive, despite everything that's happening. That's, that's my message to my, to my parishioners, um, that, that we, you know, what we're on about is life-giving. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. A wonderful thing to say. You, you mentioned, I want to go back to this 35 kilos that you shared before. How, <laughs> how on earth did you do that? I, uh, I went on a uh, detox program, not a sad one, but a sensible one, where I completely um, uh, rebooted my eating habits. Um, I was kind of like a three-week fast, followed by a gradual, then a gradual uh, increase in my food intake, but proper food. I, I dropped less emphasis on carbs and fat and more emphasis on good, healthy foods. Wow. Uh, but I also, um, one of my prisoners is a very good personal trainer, and and she she has helped change my my life through physical fitness and twice a week i train with her um she's uh, the bishop here says she's an oxymoron because she also owns a restaurant <laughs> <laughs> but that's how i did it then i and and that taught me discipline yeah i think that this I, i've never really appreciated fasting and prayer and all that but yeah i think that's amazing discipline. yeah that's, yeah. that's but, amazing but it came at, a, at the right time in my life you know, 50s, I was, I was probably a heart attack waiting to happen. Wow, wow. What or a, a new, stroke. A new my blood pressure on. dropped dramatically. Everything. My, my doctor will tell you that my blood tests are perfect. That's fantastic. A new lease uh, on life. Whereas, yeah, new lease on life. A, mid, a good midlife crisis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell me something. The, did you do much walking before you went? Yes, I did. I've always been a big walker. Um, as a younger person, I, I played a lot of sport. Um, uh, I played a bit of golf. Um, I played a lot of football at the at the seminary cricket. Um, but when you get into parish life, um, you become victim of the of the scone and the cake and and the cup of tea, the morning tea, afternoon tea, all those sort of things. Um, so yeah, you now, know- I still I still misbehave every now and then, but but yeah. You're, I'm aware of, of its effects. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you, what about the walking day in, day out? There'll be people listening right now who are thinking of doing the Camino and they'd be worried about the getting up each day and having to set, set off. The, the walking day in, day out. How did you find that? Well, I got to love it, actually. Yeah. Um, in fact, you miss it when you finish it. Uh, you'd get up, we'd get up at six, have breakfast, hit the road by no later than seven. It's still dark. And you walk along highways sometimes and then you go off onto the pilgrim tracks. Um, there are milestones, literally, every uh, every mile that mark your progress. Um, it, and you're talking and sometimes you're by yourself, um, but it's just you get a good pace up. I use a stick. I found that that very important in terms of setting a pace. Um, and then you'd be finished by three in the afternoon. And you really appreciate it because you're working off a map, not a GPS. You were told, you know, really appreciate when you saw in sight the end of the day, where you were going to stop. Um, but, you know, and then overnight you were refreshed and then you're back into it. It's amazing how you, you'd go to bed with aches and pains and wake up, I wake up feeling good again. Did you stay in albergues? No, we didn't. We had pre-booked accommodation, so right. uh, we had that all arranged. Um, but we carried our packs and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, uh, so you, when you say that you, you had places booked, uh, all of that was done in the – did you do all of that collectively or did you use an agency? or? or, or? No, we used an agency. Um, uh, Cathed used an agency. They did that for a number of reasons, but also in terms of making sure everyone was together and safe. Um, yeah. What did you find most challenging about the Camino? Oh. The, there were some tough walks, uphill walks or downhill walks, but the most challenging thing were the times when you were alone and you were thinking about, you started to think about things. They were, I'm not saying they were bad, but they challenged the heck out of you. They're the moments you were challenged. How do you mean? Well, you were confronted with the reality of who you are, like we were talking before, and you were confronted with what you needed to do in life. I, I, that was my experience. Um, that can be tough sometimes. Yeah, I guess it can. I mean, if if the if you if you're on the Camino looking for renewal or looking for answers, sometimes those answers can be difficult to hear, can't they? Well, they might not be the ones you want or you think you want, and that's part of the Camino to surrender, to surrender to God, who, who as you said, that saying, you know, who always brings you to the the right destination. Yeah, yeah. I think one critical aspect of that is being honest, though, isn't it? I, oh, yeah, and that's part of the surrender. You've got to surrender all your your, your ego, your, and, yeah, just open yourself up. Um, and you probably know what the, what you've got to do, but the Camino has that ability just to help you surrender and to take on what you've got to do. It's a hard thing to it's Yeah, it's, it just helps you let go, Dan. That's how, how I experienced it. Yeah. And it's often said that the Camino is like life. You have good days and bad days. Some, oh, yeah. some, days oh. you, some days you do 
really you're taking it easy and you think oh, this is no dramas here I'm I'm doing this easily and then and then something an unforeseen circumstance will make it life a little bit tougher a little bit more difficult well on the tough days you'd you'd be walking walking you think oh you know I must be there must be almost there and you'd go on and on and on <laughs> they were the tough days um, and that's like life isn't it but you you've got to hang in there um yeah you know that's that's interesting. That perfectly leads me into my next question because as a priest, you're often your community's companion. And while I'm certain that's a challenge, it must also be a great privilege. Oh, it's all privilege. Um, priesthood, priesthood is a great privilege, a great call, um, and you have to be mindful that it is a privilege um, and not to take it for granted. A wise old priest said to me, look, People will forgive most things in, in a priest. They won't forgive meanness if you're mean with yourself, giving. And I think um, priests have to, priests are givers. If you're not a giver, well, then you're going to not be part of your community. You're not going to serve it properly. You're not going to be able to get into people's lives and have relationships with them. Um, and the Camino confronts you with the things you've got to do to, to enhance that ministry. And while it, it is a privilege, as you say, uh, it must be a very tough gig at times. Oh, yeah, it's tough. Um, there are days you'd rather not be doing it. <laughs> um, uh, it's like life, I guess. It's like, uh, it's like marriage or, or whatever. There are just days that, aren't, that don't, things don't go well. But there's an amazing reward um, when, on the days when, when things happen that you're not responsible for but you're privileged to be a part of. I'll never forget uh, at a funeral for a boy, I was a teenager and, and a young fellow, this is in country Queensland, a place called Pittsworth, and a young fellow died on a farm. He was 14, one of my schoolmates. And we were at St. Stephen's Church in Pittsworth and the funeral. And the priest that day was incredible, the job he did in, in farewelling this young boy in front, of all of, all, in front of all of us, family and friends and school children. And I'll never forget, Father, I watched the priest uh, walk on his own back to the presbytery while we all made our way together away from the, from the church I've never forgotten it. And I remember thinking to myself, well, who, who will counsel him? Who will, who will offer him care? So, yep. so who, who does offer you counsel when you're in a situation like that? Because you're there for everybody. Who's there for you? Well, that's where it's important to debrief with someone you trust. And that's not necessarily another priest. Um, I have very good friends, lay friends, who I know I can debrief with. Um, I also have, uh, you know, supervisions coming, becoming very important in terms of ministry in the church. Um, I have a very good supervisor, someone who I can share and get, get critical feedback from. But you're right, there are times where you walk away from moments like that and you are by yourself, but you, you, that's when you reflect about what's just happened. And, you know, in terms of funerals, there's a great sadness, but there's also 
um, it's where the church is, is most powerful in terms of its ritual and its ministry. And, and that's important to reflect upon how you do that as a priest. Hmm. Great answer. Yeah. 25 years of, uh, of providing is, is a great legacy. I'm certain you're looking forward to many, many years ahead as well. But what perspective do you think you gained walking in the footsteps of St. James? And let me ask you also, what do you think St. James would make of us all walking in his footsteps? <laughs> He'd probably be amazed and he'd probably thank God, and he'd probably challenge us to do more in terms of how we um, how we live the faith. That's always the challenge. Um, walking in his in his footsteps in terms from the perspective of being a priest, um, to appreciate those who've gone before you, but to appreciate what's got to happen. What what, what are we being called as church to do now? Um, and how will I, how, how do I lead people in that? How do I lead people, allow people to, to start to dialogue, to engage with what the context is, what's happening now? I think that's, what I, that's one of the insights I got from the Camino. Lovely. Because I wasn't walking the Camino dressed like St. James, but I was sharing in the gospel, same gospel, same faith. Mm, that's fantastic. That is a... Uh, I, I, Tell us about arriving in Santiago de Compostela. Well, it's the it's the shortest part of the trip. You go up. We went up a. We sort of go up a mountain, then we came down, and you're aware that you're coming into a city because you, it's very close to the airport, and there's planes taking off and landing, but you're still in the forest, and you just have a sense of you know that it, things are building up to a climax. And the climax for us was not actually entering the city, but on this hill, which for centuries pilgrims have got to and been able to see the cathedral in the distance. That was powerful for me. Yeah, and then you just walk, then you walk down. The cathedral looks a long way away, but it's not actually. Yeah. And then entering into the city, had, we had lunch. Uh, then we walked on to the, to the cathedral and entered the cathedral. We went... To where we were staying, had a rest, did whatever, had a look around, and then the pilgrims' mass. They have two a day. We went to the one in the afternoon, and we were fortunate enough because uh, a group of pilgrims from Brazil had paid for the giant thurible that it's famous for, this huge incense incenser, which has got a seven-man crew, and it just swung to at the end of mass and filled the place with incense. Um, it was just a sense that you'd accomplish something and that, and that it was a graced moment. Yeah. Lovely. You know, there's an old saying that your Camino begins when you get to Santiago. How has been yep. the transition since you've been home now this last year? Um, I think, I think I'm, I'm much more aware of the mission of the church, the, the person of Christ, than I was before. That sounds strange. I'm also much, I have a different perspective, a renewed perspective on celebrating the Eucharist and the sacraments and their power and their meaning in the life of the church. Um, and I really appreciate, this is going to sound 
you probably say, well, you do this. You've been doing it for 25 years. But I've got a, a renewed appreciation for beginning the day by celebrating the Mass with my fellow parishioners. That sets the day for me. And that comes from the Camino. Can you see yourself going back to the Camino? Well, they're planning to do the the French side of the Camino where you start in France and pass over the Pyrenees. Where There's a plan in, in Catholic education here in the diocese to go from the French side across to Pomparado where we began in Spain. And that's about a three-week walk. The... So that's part of the Camino. Yeah. That that's a beautiful walk too. <laughs> it's a very yeah. beautiful walk. You walk the Meseta out in the middle of nowhere, the wilds of the Meseta. You'll certainly yeah. do a lot of thinking and a lot of praying. I'll, mm. I'll go back to the quote that I began with: "A man who walks with God always gets to his destination." So good luck on your journey. Congratulations on your twenty-five years a priest, a life of giving and sharing and caring, a very much a pilgrimage. Thank you very much for your time, Father. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. My guest this week, the Australian Catholic priest, Father Neil Muir, a parish priest from Cairns in far north Queensland. The US author and poet Henrietta C. Mears said, a man who walks with God always gets to his destination. A woman too, I'm sure. I was in the process of editing Father Muir's interview when a poem arrived in my social media feed. My thanks to one of my previous guests, Johnny Walker Santiago, whose new Camino book is available right now. Johnny posted a picture of the legendary American comic Charlie Chaplin as a 26-year-old. Beneath the picture was a copy of a poem Charlie Chaplin read on his 70th birthday. It was originally written by Kim McMillan. I just love the message. As I began to love myself, I found that anguish and emotional suffering are only warning signs that I was living against my own truth. Today, I know, this is authenticity. As I began to love myself, I understood how much it can offend somebody if I try to force my desires on this person, even though I knew the time was not right and the person was not ready for it and even though this person was me. Today, I call this respect. As I began to love myself, I stopped craving for a different life, and I could see that everything that surrounded me was inviting me to grow. Today, I call this maturity. As I began to love myself, I understood that at any circumstance, I am in the right place at the right time, and everything happens at exactly the right moment. So I could be calm. Today, I call this self-confidence. As I began to love myself, I quit stealing my own time, and I stopped designing huge projects for the future. Today, I only do what brings me joy and happiness, things I love to do and that make my heart cheer, and I do them in my own way and in my own rhythm. Today, I call this simplicity. As I began to love myself, I freed myself of anything that is no good for my health, food, people, things, situations, and everything that drew me down and away from myself. At first, I called this attitude a healthy egoism. Today, I know it is love of oneself. As I began to love myself, I quit trying to always be right. 
And ever since, I was wrong less of the time. Today I discovered that is modesty. As I began to love myself, I refused to go on living in the past and worrying about the future. Now I only live for the moment where everything is happening. Today I live each day, day by day, and I call it fulfilment. As I began to love myself, I recognized that my mind can disturb me and it can make me sick. But as I connected it to my heart, my mind became a valuable ally. Today I call this connection wisdom of the heart. We no longer need to fear arguments, confrontations or any kind of problems with ourselves or others. Even stars collide and out of their crashing new worlds are born. Today I know this is life. My new album, Duende, is out now, available worldwide for download and streaming via iTunes and Spotify. And if you're old-fashioned like me, you might like a copy of the CD with the artwork, the lyrics and the sleeve. You'll find it via danmullinsmusic.com and we'll send it anywhere in the world. danmullinsmusic.com. There's also a link there to my Patreon page. You might like to sponsor the work I do on the podcast. Thanks as always for your company. I just absolutely love doing the podcasts. I can't wait for next week. Until then, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino.